It is with great excitement that I get to introduce to you our guest speaker this morning, Logan Howard. Um, he's a good friend, but what I've seen in him is that he loves the Word of God, he loves the church, and most of all, he loves Jesus Christ. So I'm really excited to hear from him. We've heard from him once, and it was, it was really such a blessing. So excited for this morning. Well, good morning. I am very excited to uh, once again have the opportunity to preach. It's been great to be back home uh, from college and to hang out with you guys again and to worship with you um, for the last couple of weeks. And I just consider it such an honor to be asked to bring the Word of God to you this morning. Um, and I want to start out this sermon by asking you a question. Have you considered what it truly means to be a Christian? What it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ? I think when we think about that concept, we think of things like evangelism, spreading our faith to other people. We think of how we have been saved and how we have been brought from deadness and sin to life with Christ because of his death, burial, and resurrection from the grave. And you know, these are good and true things to think about, but there's one area I think that many people either tend to forget or avoid, and that is the area of suffering. You see, as Christians, we are guaranteed to suffer in this life. Um, and the people being written to in the book we're studying this morning, they knew that very well. Uh, if you would, please turn to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to spend our time this morning in the first couple of verses. While you're doing that, I'll give you some background about the book. Um, it was written in 60 to 70 AD, which means this was about 30 to 40 years after Jesus Christ died. And the reason that this is important is because there's a huge number of people being written to in this book that made the switch from Judaism to Christianity. So they did the whole thing where they, would, they had the sacrificial system and they would atone for sin with bulls and goats and sheep and all the rest. Then Christ came, lived the perfect life, died, was raised from the dead, and ascended to heaven. And then they made the switch to Christianity, which got rid of the sacrificial system because Jesus Christ was the perfect sacrifice. And for a while, these, these Jews who switched to Christianity Life was pretty good. I mean, it was a lot easier than having to remember all of the rules. I don't know if you've read Leviticus lately, but oh my goodness. But after a, a couple decades, things started getting hard. Rome started pressing down on the Jews extremely hard because, they, because Christianity was offensive to their religions. They, they worshipped a, a plethora of uh, pagan gods and they were involved in Greek mythology and things like that so they didn't like Christianity and so they started persecuting the Jews. They were beaten, robbed, pillaged, mocked. I don't think they were being murdered yet but that was not too far off. And you know the Jews at this point have reached a boiling point and they're like that's it. I'm done. Sure Christ, like Christianity has a ton of promises for the future, but if I go back to Judaism, at least I'm not being persecuted anymore. And so they're tempted to leave the faith and to go back to Judaism for their comfort in this life. Maybe that you're going through something similar this morning. Not going, not, maybe not going back to Judaism like the, these Jews are, but maybe life for you is really hard right now. 
And as a Christian, you're like, if I just live like the world, life would be a lot more comfortable for me. Well, if that is you this morning, our passage in Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, addresses exactly that mindset. So please follow along silently as I read Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. And in your pew Bibles, that's page 1008. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Before we get into our points this morning, there is one truth that we absolutely have to have drilled into our minds, and that is that God ordains our suffering. And that's seen even in our passage this morning. Um, so if you look at the word race, let us run with endurance, the race that is set before us, that word literally translates to the word agon, which translates to struggle. So if you put the word struggle back into our passage, let us run with endurance, the struggle, and then look at the next part, that is set before us. And what is implied is that if there, if there is a struggle set before us, that means that it has to have a setter. And who else would that setter be but he who is sovereign over all things, our Lord? And you see, there are many reasons that we suffer. We suffer to stay away from sin. We suffer to become more like Christ and be more conformed to his, to his image. But really, those are results of suffering, good results of suffering. The reason that we are going to suffer in this life is directly related to our being identified with Christ. See, being identified with Christ does have benefits for us. For instance, he came and lived the perfect, this, uh, the perfect sinless life, and so his record of complete obedience to the Father is slapped on top of our sinful record. So then when God looks down on us, he's going to see his son's perfect obedience in us, and we get to go to heaven because of that. That's a good thing. But a more difficult truth that we have to come to grips with is that in identifying with Jesus' life, we are going to suffer because he suffered. And so we should expect to do the same thing. We could, and we could do a whole sermon series on the reasons that we suffer, because there's a lot of them and a lot of good ones, but that is not the goal for the sermon this morning. Our goal this morning is to make us aware that we will suffer as Christians and then explain how to suffer well, which brings me to my main idea for this morning. As Christians, we are promised suffering, but we suffer with hope. I'll say it again. As Christians, we are promised suffering, but we suffer with hope. I have three points to the sermon this morning. The first two are exhortations, and the third is an encouragement. Point number one, prepare to run. Prepare to run. Point number two, run with endurance. Point number three, our encouragement for this morning, is we run with hope. Point number one, prepare to run. Point number two, run with endurance. Point number three, we run with hope. 
And it is my prayer that for those who are suffering this morning, that you would be rejuvenated and re-motivated to run the race well, knowing that there is so much more in store in, the, in our future as Christians, and, that we, and because of that, we can endure trial now. And for those who are not suffering, it is my prayer that you would be prepared to run well, knowing that suffering will in, eventually inflict you for your good, but it will be hard, and it will require that you have faith in Jesus Christ. All right, point number one, prepare to run. Let's read the first little phrase there. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. So who exactly are these witnesses? Well, the one view that's kind of been taken through the years is that they're relatives of ours who have passed on before us and are now in heaven and now they're watching over us as we run our, run our race here on the earth. And while that's sweet and comfortable, I don't think that is what the author of Hebrews is getting at here because of the word therefore in our passage. See, what that tells us is that there's something before Hebrews 12 that informs our passage today, so we actually need to go back to Hebrews 11 a little bit. If you're not familiar with Hebrews 11, you should know that it's also called the Hall of Faith. Um, if you heard of uh, the Hall of Fame and uh, football or baseball, it's the stars of those people through the generations. Um, people that were the best at their sport. Well, the Hall of Faith is the people who showed the strongest faith in the Old Testament. So you have people like Noah, who God told him there was going to be a flood. He'd never seen rain before, but he had faith in God and built the ark and he was saved from it. You have Abraham, who at 100 years old was going to have a kid, which is very unlikely, and, uh, but nonetheless he had faith in God and it happened. You have Joseph, who was thrown uh who was thrown in a pit but god delivered him in a big way but i won't spoil that uh you're welcome dave (laughs) but anyway this was to show the faithfulness of their so hebrews 11 was written to these jews to show the faithfulness of their ancestors to god and the faithfulness of god to their ancestors and this should have encouraged the hebrews that god would be faithful to them as well Because why does it make any sense that God would be faithful to his people beforehand and not now in the midst of their own suffering? And this faithfulness was most notably shown by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. You know, remember, these Jews experienced that. Some of them maybe didn't see it, but they know it happened, and they are reaping the benefits because of that. See, the Old Testament Testament Jews didn't have that benefit. For them... It was a prophecy. They knew there was a Messiah coming and that he was coming to take sin, but they didn't get to see that come to fruition, yet they had faith in that coming Messiah anyway. And imagine the faith that must have taken for the Old Testament Jews to believe. I mean, they had to believe that the sacrificial system would end. And if you only know that, and the multitudes of generations before you only knows that for thousands of years, I imagine that would be a little difficult to believe. I mean, that's like saying that there's new technology coming out that is going to make it so we don't have to do laundry anymore. I mean, you don't really, I mean, that just doesn't seem even feasible at this point. So, point of application number one, keep doing your laundry. Anyway, these current Jews were able to look back on the Messiah, on everything that he had already done. And so their faith should have been stronger. They should know that God would be faithful to them in their suffering because he was faithful to their ancestors. 
I wonder if that's a practice that we make in our own lives. Do we read scripture or do we look at the faithfulness of God in the lives of our brothers and sisters around us and find comfort that he's also going to be faithful to us too? See, I think we tend to get caught up in the details of how that faithfulness is going to be shown to us. Because the reality is, something really cool and great can happen to one of, to one of our friends, and our first reaction is going to be, how come that didn't happen to me? But the, the fact of the matter is that God is not going to show his faithfulness to us in all of the same ways. And if it were for your greatest good that you received what your friend got, then you would get it too. Friends, we cannot rely on how the Lord will be faithful to us, but we can rely on the fact that he will be faithful to us. And if he's already given us his son so that we may have eternal life and go to heaven after we perish from this earth, why would he not be with us when we go through times that are difficult? Let's look at the next part of our passage. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Notice that word also. So that's saying that the Old Testament Jews did it, and now the New Testament Jews should do that too because they did it. And that's to fo- it was for them to follow the Old Testament Jews' example. And this was done, and the Old Testament Jews did it because running, running well required holiness. And holiness was extreme, like, that, that was like the thing of the Old Testament. Like if you are familiar with the temple, there was a room in the temple called the Holy of Holies where God dwelled, and only one person was allowed in there, the priest, and only he was allowed in there once a year. And, so, and because God's holiness was so great that anyone who entered that room would die immediately. So holiness was a big deal, but it is how, that is how we run uh, our race. Um, and honestly, I don't think that it's really hard to understand to pursue holiness to run well. See, we have this problem of sin, and it's going to be a big problem in our life. And it's not just a problem, but its entire goal is to destroy us. And what we need to be aware of this morning is that Satan knows our weaknesses and that he is going to take those avenues to try to tempt us to fall away, to get us off the path of following Christ. And the only way that we are going to be able to run well is that if we have the Spirit inside of us fighting for us. Friends, if we try to fight Satan alone, he will crush us every time. We need the power of the Spirit in us to run and to pursue holiness. If you aren't here and you are not saved this morning, please know that you are being deceived by the devil and that you are being tricked into thinking that you being in sin is okay. And at the end of life, you're going to see that there is a judgment, an eternal judgment waiting for you because you've sinned against the holy God. But there is hope because Jesus Christ, his one and only Son, has come from heaven to earth. He lived the perfect sinless life, as I've said. He died on the cross for all who would believe in him and was raised from the dead where he defeated death and sin forever. And if you repent of your sin and just come to him, you can have that same hope and you will not have to have eternal separation from God, but you will get to spend eternity with him. Turn from your sin. 
because we can only and we can only defeat it if we run to Jesus Christ. Notice also, we don't just lay aside sin, but wait. And what's implied there is that there are going to be things that are not inherently sin that can keep us from running well. For instance, our phones are not inherently sin, but if they cause us to neglect our family and friends and responsibilities, then our phone becomes a weight. Our job is not inherently a sin, but if we tend to get extremely frustrated or anxious or angry, then our job, if we work too much, becomes a weight. Being alone is not inherently a sin. But if you find that you are more tempted to sin as a result of being alone and away from other people, then being alone is a weight. See, so my question for you is, what habits that do you have that are weights? What in your life is, tempts you to sin? I think in everything that we do as Christians, our goal should be to glorify God. And this doesn't mean that everything we do has to have a super spiritual intent to it, like sleeping, for example. That's not something that's super spiritual. But what we can do is recognize sleep as a gift from God, and we can, and, and we can uh, love the Lord better because of that, knowing that, that sleep is what gives us the strength to get through our days and to glorify Him better. And so we go to sleep knowing that it is a gift from the Lord, therefore we glorify Him glorify him in it everything we do should be purposed to glorify the father so we should ask ourselves in everything that we do am i glorifying god in this friends lay aside sin and lay aside weight knowing that god is going to be faithful to you even and especially in the midst of your suffering it's point number one prepare to run point number two Run with endurance. If we're keeping up with this race analogy, point number one was the stretches that we do before the race, and now we, are, now we can run. Let us, let's read the next portion of text that we're going to be looking at through this point. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. The first thing I want you to notice is look at that call to run. Notice that word is not walk, it is not hop, it is not skip, it is not stroll, it is run. And the reason that we run is to, re- is to remove outside distraction and make a beeline for the cross. Back when I first started college, uh, in community college, I took a few classes for my business major, and uh, one of those was intro to marketing. Now, the professor for Intro to Marketing used to be a Wegmans manager, and he would be involved in a bunch of different marketing tactics that they used for Wegmans and then use them in our class to teach us. Now, one of the tactics that he used kind of blew my mind a little bit. So, you know when you're walking around in a grocery store, especially like by the produce sections usually, and they have these really bumpy tiles and so the faster you go with your cart, the louder and more annoying it gets, so you slow down. You get that chunk, 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 chunk sound every time. Well, uh, well, apparently, that is planned by Wegmans so that you slow down, look at shelves around you so that you are more tempted to buy things that are not on your grocery list. 
Therefore, they make more money and you lose more money. Well, friends, this is kind of what the Christian life is. Instead, it is Satan that is creating those bumpy tiles to distract us. He's creating those tiles to slow us down and to get us to look around. But by the power of the Spirit in us, we must not slow down. We must plow through the noise and make a beeline for Jesus Christ. Be aware that Satan is trying to distract us, but we must not be distracted. And that is by staying close to Christ through prayer, through his word. Remember also, race means struggle. That word race in our, in our text means struggle. And if you think about it, that's not super surprising uh, given the, the Old Testament uh, heroes of the faith in, in Hebrews 11. I mean, if you go back and read each of their accounts in the Old Testament, I mean, they didn't exactly have it easy. And what made their faith so pronounced and so strong was the fact that they suffered a lot of hardships. I mean, and even look at Job. I mean, God, God ordained his... I mean, that's not in Hebrews 11, but if you're familiar with the first couple chapters at least, you know that God gives Satan free reign to hurt Job as long as he didn't kill the guy. So that is God ordaining our suffering. And so the question that we have, that a lot of us have even as Christians, is why? Why does God ordain suffering? I mean, this is one of the biggest objections to Christianity to date. If your God is so loving, then why is there so much evil and suffering and hurt in the world? And, you know, there are, there are simpler ways to answer that question. You could say sin. Or you could say, because God is God and he can do what he wants. But, you know, that's honestly not, not what people want to hear, even if it is the truth. But let me ask you a question from that question. When have you experienced your biggest seasons of spiritual growth. When I first started school at Boyce, so a year into college, uh, I, got, I got to school, I got set up, and about a month in, I started experiencing a lot of pain. And I didn't want to eat, I didn't want to do anything, I was tired all the time, I lost a ton of weight, and it was just not a good time. So we had a fall break in October of 2019, and I used that to come home, go to the doctors, and find out what was wrong with me. And as it turns out, I had Crohn's disease. And there's a lot more that I can explain about that later, but uh, time and awkwardness says that I cannot do that now. <laughs> anyway, I experienced a lot more spiritual growth from being sick. Because honestly, like when I was in perfect health, as far as I knew, that's not something I really thought about very much. It's something that I took for granted, and it's something I took advantage of. But when I was sick, I became a lot more thankful to the Lord for the health that I did have, when the, some of the health that I, because of some of the health that was now gone from me. Not to mention, it was just a huge uh, season of growing and trusting in the Lord. And I say that to say that, like what happened to me with Crohn's, it's very rare that a, that a big season of growth is going to happen when life is easy. Growth happens when you are pushed outside of your comfort zone. And I think the Lord in his mercy will allow us to suffer, which will bring us closer to him. I think that's another reason that we suffer. 
So there are many, many good reasons to suffer. And the difference between the worldly suffering and godly suffering is that with godly suffering, we can suffer with joy knowing that we are growing more in Christ-likeness. Because that's what it's purposed for. And notice, we are not called to suffer only, but to suffer well or endure. And uh, I've outlined four ways to endure um, in this passage. By the way, to endure means to remain faithful to God. There are a lot of people suffering in different ways. For some, it is health. or For some, it's relationships. For some, there's a struggle with sin that you have. But if we have Christ, know that even in the midst of all of that, all of that hurt, the temptation, we can, with Christ, endure. But what that also means is that if you are not a Christian this morning... You cannot endure. And so if you're going to endure well, if you're going to live life and be able to suffer with hope, you have to be a Christian. So if, if, you, are, if you are not a Christian this morning, I pray that you would hear this and that you would yearn for hope, a true everlasting hope that can only be found at the cross of Christ. Four ways to endure well. Number one, don't do it alone. See, the Jews, even in this passage, had each other. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And likewise, we as a church should bear one another's burdens. Galatians 6.2 lays that out clearly. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. There are a lot of people in this room, keeping suffering to themselves this morning. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Maybe for some, you don't want to bother people. For others, you don't want people to feel bad for you just because you're going through something hard. Or maybe you've been caught in a sin and are too ashamed to say anything because you think that people are going to look at you in a different light, a lesser light. And in a way those things are understandable, but here's the reality. Satan wants you to keep it to yourself. That is how he makes you hopeless and how he isolates you. And so in exposing sin, not only are you being more faithful as someone who is is confessing sin, and not only are you allowing your brothers and sisters to be more faithful as people bearing their burdens, but you are beating Satan at his own game. So friends, confess sin, confess struggle, and watch the burdens you you bear become much, much lighter. However, if this confessional relationship in the church is going to work, we also have to be people uh, willing to be entrusted with this information, which means we cannot gossip to other people when people come to us with a confession. And I would ask us, I would ask each of us to examine our hearts and, be, and, and ask, are we people who would do that? Or are we people who would respect our brothers and sisters when they come to us in confidence with something? Friends, endurance succeeds in, endurance and suffering succeeds in the building up of the church. That's way number one, we endure. Don't do it alone. Way number two, endure knowing there's a finish line. What is one 
thing that every race ever has had in common. It ends. Every race ends. Every, the, here, and here's the reality. Everyone alive is going to suffer. But for the unsaved, suffering, most suffering, their most notable suffering, comes later. And for the saved, it ends, it, it ends when we go to heaven. And maybe for some people, uh, it will end before they die. But we know that, when, uh, that, is, that suffering and darkness and evil are going to last in our bodies only as long as our physical bodies right now are going to last. Because eventually, sin is going to be snuffed out by the blinding light of the glory of God in a perfect, sinless eternity where you will reside with Him forever. Seeing the light, seeing that glory at the end of the tunnel should give us the strength to carry on. Friends, if you are suffering now, know and be reminded that it ends. Way number three, endure knowing God keeps his promises. Now, admittingly, this is a little harder to see in the text, but think about it. Our guarantee to suffer is just another promise of God. See, when we think about the promises of God, we tend to think about the good things, like how he's never going to leave or forsake us, or how nothing is going to separate us from his love, or how we are going to heaven when we die. But in our suffering, that is just another promise that God is keeping to us. And he, and if he has to keep all of his promises to us because he claims in Scripture to be unchanging. Malachi 3.6 for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Or the chapter right after the one we're studying, Hebrews 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So God claims to be unchanging. And if he is unchanging, that means he has to keep all of his promises. And so if he promises in Scripture that we are going to suffer and we don't suffer, that means God has broken one of his promises and then, we see, and then he ceases right there to be God. But friends, praise God that he does not change and that he keeps all of his promises because then when hard times and suffering and trial arises for us, we can cling to him because we know that even when life circumstances around us change, he will not. Uh, way number four that we endure. Endure looking to Jesus alone. This is probably the most important way that we endure. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And there are several reasons why we look to Jesus. I mean, this is exactly what the cloud of witnesses did. And they, because they looked to the coming Messiah, and they had a particularly strong faith as uh, outlined in Hebrews 11. I actually want to read a few verses from Hebrews 11, starting at verse 35. Hebrews 11:35 says, Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, 
wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. All these things, though commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised. They didn't even receive the Messiah that was promised, but their faith in the coming Messiah is what sustained them in difficult times. And the author of Hebrews is saying to this generation of Hebrews being written to in this book, that the Messiah, who has already come at this point, should be able to sustain them in hard times too. That is one reason we look to Jesus, because that is what everyone has done, every Christian has done from the beginning of time. Another reason we look to Jesus is because he is unchanging. Now, we heard, we've heard that Jesus is unchanging, but why does that matter? What difference does it make if Jesus is changing versus unchanging? Well, this matters because our joy will waver if we put it in things that waver. For a lot of us, I have done this many times, like to put our joys in ourselves. So let's say that you wake up one morning and you, you wake up early and you get everything done that you need to, and you have a good day at work, and you didn't sin as much as you usually do, and so you lay your head on your pillow at night thinking, yeah, I did good. I did good. But the next day is exactly the opposite. You wake up late, and so you're running around, you're late for work, and because of that, you're in a bad mood all day, and because of that, you sin more than you usually would, and so that day, you lay your head down on your pillow thinking, I am a piece of garbage. If I, if we, and, and, you know, it's not just ourselves, but we can put our joy and our trust in all kinds of things. Money, relationships, anything. But Jesus does not change. And if our joy is in something that does not change, then no matter what happens on the earth, our joy and confidence will stay the same. Friends, yes, we suffer, but we do not suffer as people who have no hope. And looking at the last little part of that passage, Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. So think about it. And we've been talking about how faith is what sustains everyone. So Jesus is the founder of our faith. He's the one who sustains it, and he is the one who perfects it, or another translation is finishes our faith which means there isn't a lot of room for us in there to mess it up. And so if we are Christians this morning, we know that our faith will endure because it has nothing to do with us in the first place. It is all Jesus Christ, and he will never fail us. That's point number two. Point number three and our encouragement for this morning. We run with hope. Let's read the, the last little portion of text for this morning who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See, when Jesus was on the earth, he suffered, and he suffered a lot. And the pinnacle of that suffering was on the cross. I mean, he, even, even the walk to the cross, I mean, he was whipped and he was mocked and he was scorned and he had a crown of thorns put on his head but then he was nailed to the cross where he where the pinnacle of his suffering took place 
But this also says that he suffered with joy. And the big question is, what could this joy be? I mean, what joy would, would, would allow someone to come from heaven to earth to live a perfect life where he would be rejected and made fun of and beaten and eventually killed? What kind of joy must he have had? Well, there's a few answers to this that people have given. Um, for one, the glory of God. And if you've read the gospel accounts, you'll know that Christ's entire ministry was purposed to give God the glory in everything that he did. From the miracles he performed, to the teachings that he did, even to his death on the cross. The glory of his Father was one. was uh, one instance of joy that it could have been. Another thing it could have been is the atonement for God's people. He marched towards the cross with joy because he knew that the sacrificial system was no longer going to be needed because he was going to be the perfect sacrifice. And so now in order for us to go to heaven, all that is required is that we trust in Jesus and believe in him and repent of our sin. And so that would give Jesus great joy. That's a second option. A third option is that Christ would now have a bride. And the reason that people say that is because it, the joy, it, said it, it says it's the joy that was set before him, and people would take that to mean that this isn't something that he had yet. That's what that meant. And so Christ was going to have his bride when he came to the earth again, claimed all of his people, and then we all feasted at the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's a third option. Honestly, I think it's all of these. I think all of these are the joy that Christ had before him. Because think about it. In coming to the earth to die for us, that is what glorified the Father, and the result of him dying for us and for his people is that there will eventually be a marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven. And just by the way, isn't it amazing that God was most glorified in our being saved from our own destruction that we deserve? How crazy is that to think about? God saw fit that he would receive most glory in his own pouring out of mercy and grace on us who deserve nothing more than hell. God was glorified in the salvation of his people who don't deserve it. Think about that and revel in that. Anyway, Christ is joyful and God is glorified in our salvation. Meanwhile, he despised the shame. And what people have taken that to mean a lot of times is that he kind of was hesitant, but he's like, all right, I know I have to do this, so I'm going to kind of just, just grin and bear anyway. But no, that word despise, literally translated in Greek, means to disregard. So in other words, the joy that was set before Jesus was so great that the sufferings he compared now were nothing in comparison. Nothing. Friends, do you know that we are called to that same joy? We are called 
to glorify God. We are called to be that people that Christ came to save. And we are called to feast in the marriage supper of the Lamb after life on, after life on earth is through. And so we can suffer, yes, but it pales immensely in comparison to the joy that is set before us. That is what's meant in Romans 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. And that's not to say that suffering isn't going to be hard. It's hard and it's real. And it's meant to shape us. But our joy in Jesus Christ is greater. Finally, we see that Jesus is at the right hand of the throne of God. After he rose from the grave, he went through a few people, and then he was ascended back into heaven. But question, so the question we have now is, what's he doing up there? Well, he's doing a lot, but I'm going to list two things to benefit us this morning. One thing he is doing up there is sympathizing with us. Hebrews 4.15 says that. He's not someone who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. And that should give us great comfort. I think sometimes we think that Jesus is enthroned in heaven, and that, kind of, that, and that, and that picture kind of draws a lot of distance between us and him. But you know, as we are tempted and as we suffer here on the earth, that is no stranger to Jesus. He suffered and he was tempted too. And so he sees us in our weakness as someone who has been there. And even if we fall into temptation, we fall into sin or we suffer poorly, Jesus Christ stands as someone who is ready to forgive us and love us where we are. Remember that. Jesus is up there um, who is willing and able to sympathize with our weaknesses. The second thing he's doing is he he is awaiting the time of his return. And friends, when he comes again, it is not going to be silent like it was the first time. But it is going to be loud. Everyone is going to know what's happening. There's going to be trumpets, and the full glory of God will be on display as he comes to take his people home. To conclude this morning, I talk first to to non-Christians and then to Christians. To non-Christians, know that life here will end in one of two ways. Either you will physically die or Christ will come again. And you have been shown mercy in this moment by receiving the chance to repent of sin and to trust in Jesus for salvation. And maybe after kind of what I've been preaching about this morning, You don't want to be a a Christian because you know that there's going to be a lot of suffering that's going to happen. But the reality is that every person alive suffers. Christians only suffer now and then it's over. But non-Christians suffer for eternity. Please turn to Jesus Christ where he stands ready to forgive and where you can suffer with hope knowing that it ends. To Christians, life here will end in one of two ways. Either you'll physically die or Christ will come again. Either way, the age of darkness and evil will die and you and I will be saved from it. 
May this truth give you strength and peace in the midst of good times and difficult times. Imagine the joy and the relief you will feel when you are face to face with Christ in glory where he stands with his arms wide open saying, My friend, welcome home.